we don't necessarily just hit it right out of the gate of, oh yeah, I'm now living my purpose. We need to trial and error. So don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to go do radically different things than what seems like the obvious path in front of you. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, folks. My guest today is Shane Metcalf, who is the co-founder and chief culture officer for 15.5. 15.5 is a performance management software that includes all the good stuff that you want. And I believe, Shane, correct me if I'm wrong, that you are one of the top 100 software companies out there. Did I get that right? On G2 Crowd, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, these things are always really funny. It's like, what, is the, what does it even mean to be a top 100 software company? But I'll take it, you know? It's cool. It's like, it's like that and bios always make us sound better than we probably are. But uh, it's cool to be a hundred, top 100 rated software company. Well, it's way better than being, this is Shane Metcalf and he's average at being great. And that's not very enticing. So I'm going to put all the good stuff about there. But why don't you tell people why you exist in the world and why 15.5 helps bring out the best in people. Yeah, sure. So 15.5, we exist to create highly engaged and high-performing organizations by helping people become their best selves. And so, you know, that could be a variety of different companies when you look at that mission. But we, we take the approach that through building software, services, and education, we have a really good shot at transforming companies. And so we've been at this for nine years and, you know, it's been a hero's journey to say the least. You know, I think I love thinking of our careers and our, you know, as a founder or just an entrepreneur, as a leader, as going on our own hero's journey. And we often think, okay, cool. Well, this is, this is kind of about the outside world. This is about me getting more uh, social status, getting promotions, getting that rung up on the ladder. But really, I think it's actually... The opportunity is to treat our careers as a hero's journey, as this process of going into radical self-awareness, learning about ourselves, learning about our strengths, our genius, our blind spots, and leveraging all of that to actually become our own best selves, but then actually be of service to other people on their evolutionary journey. Mm. So you know, before this, according to your LinkedIn, you know, you're an executive coach. What was the the why behind, hey, I'm an executive coach to being able to create this software to bring out the best in people? Like, what was that gap that you saw that said, hey, I know I can fill this? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, like 
many of us, life happens to us. And so my early career was deeply immersed and it wasn't even a career. I mean, I basically took the, you know, the Molotov cocktail to my career. You know, I worked in private equity and in San Francisco and kind of hated it. And I was kind of miserable and, you know, that kind of soul crushing experience. And I said, the hell with this. I'm out of here. I do not want to compromise my own life doing something that I hate to make a living. So essentially what happened is I left the professional track and I went into the the underbelly of the transformational workshop world of the Bay Area in the, you know, 2005-2010 kind of range. And there was a lot of crazy shit happening in that city at that time. And so I got, you know, I feel was un- incredibly lucky because I got in, thrown into the deep end in some incredible communities that were really looking at human evolution, human self-development, relationships, communication, authenticity, vulnerability, healing, transformation. So I was just swimming in all of that. And then I met a mentor who took me under his wing and he trained me as an executive coach. And coaching is cool because to become a coach, you need to go through thousands of hours of coaching. It's kind of like becoming a therapist. You need to go through your own therapeutic journey to become a therapist. And so the process of becoming a coach was itself just an amazing journey. So I had a coaching business. It was doing okay. And I was, you know, I was young as hell. I mean, I'm still young, but like, you know, I, I started doing executive coaching when I was 26, you know, coaching people twice my age, thinking, what the hell am I doing here? But, you know, figuring it out too. And, and then I met this guy, David Hassel. And we had, we had coffee and things just started to click. And we became friends. And I started sharing a little bit around some of the work that I was doing. He started sharing a little about this project he was working on that was essentially being able to ask questions at scale to produce better conversations and superior business results. That product was 15.5. Now, as a coach, I am in love with questions. Questions are one of the best technologies we have to increase engagement, increase performance, get people more aligned with what they really want in life. You know, the I think it's a Tony Robbins quote, like the quality of your life is dependent on the quality of the questions you are asking. And so I saw, wow, this is this, this software platform where as a coach, I ask, you know, maybe a hundred, couple hundred questions a week. As a software platform, we can ask a million questions, 10 million questions, a billion questions every week. So that was when the pieces clicked. I, I joined David. We've been building this company for the past nine, nine years, nine, 10 years. And I'm really proud of what we've created. Now there's the, the business, there's the customers, and we have over you know close to 3,000 companies using us. And there's a lot of really cool business success. But definitely one of the things I'm proud of, and as chief culture officer, is my primary responsibility is building a transformational culture for our own people. Hmm. 
one of the things that really struck out of from what you shared there, I mean, obviously asking questions at scale, that's that's huge. And any like good coach like gets that. And the difference between so for our leaders is like looking and saying, hey, are you trying to convince somebody of something or are you trying to get them to convince themselves and guarantee you that them convincing themselves is going to be infinitely more powerful, right? What's interesting and, and what's interesting in that one, just at the detour a moment, is humanity has been based on hierarchy for a long time. You know, and, and it's just kind of life is designed in hierarchies. But there's also a lot of wounding from hierarchy, you know, where leaders were not trying to enroll people and convince help them convince themselves. Leaders were simply, you know, in dysfunctional hierarchies, it's command and control. It's I don't care if you agree with me or not, you're doing your job. Your own intrinsic motivations matter zilch here. And so we have a lot of uh, unconditioning to do from that paradigm where authority is inherently oppositional to my own self-interests. As an employee, I'm already kind of at war with my employer. And it's subtle, and maybe I don't talk about it, and I play nice. But at these subconscious levels, there's a lot of opposition. And so what's beautiful is when leaders can actually flip this, the script a bit and say, no, I actually work for you. You know, This is the whole servant leadership model. No, I'm in service to you. You might work for me, but I'm in service to you. And then that naturally creates an experience where the employee wants to be in service to the leader. And that's, that's kind of the magic right there is you, you switch from a authority that is based on fear to authority that's based on trust. Oh, and I was about to state something, but instead I'm going to take your lead and ask people to reflect and say, what is your unconscious understanding or conscious understanding about the relationship between you and your employees? Do you have that natural bias in there? Are they working for you? Are you working for them? Like check yourself on that and get a chance to, to reflect. So Shane, what I what I heard, I heard so much great stuff. So A, the fact that you were a young leader trying to basically get your way into that place and had to go through your hero's journey, which led you to here. The fact that, again, just the asking questions, but what really struck with me is that idea of you like walking up to the pool and this like metaphorical pool of information, transformation. And so, and you dove headfirst into it and you were in the Bay at that time. And I assert also there was some like zero sum game stuff going on in the Bay because everybody was trying to get their thing happening, but you're in the pool, you're learning all of this stuff. Let's say you're out of the pool. Now you have this second wave of leaders. Maybe they're 20, maybe they're 30, maybe they're 40 in these new positions. Like what do you want them to, to reflect on for themselves as they begin to go along their own heroes journeys as leaders. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think that the opportunity for developing self-awareness is invaluable at that stage of your career. And so what do I, what do I mean by that? I mean, we call these best self-reflections and they're kind of breadcrumbs to our genius. And it's things like strengths alignment, radical strengths alignment. So do, do Gallup strengths finder, do via character strengths, Get your Enneagram profile, study that. Look for the things that help you understand who you are. Know thyself. That applies in the journey of spiritual awakening as much as it does in the, the journey of moving from an SDR to a sales manager to a product manager. And so as much as you can, 
understand your strengths. Understand the things that are actually connected to your own intrinsic motivations. And look, there's a lot of trial and error. I mean, I had so many jobs and I tried so many things that I was bad at or that I was miserable at. And those are all part of the journey. We don't necessarily just hit it right out of the gate of, oh yeah, I'm now living my purpose. We need to trial and error. So don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to go do radically different things than what seems like the obvious path in front of you. One of the things that strikes me as you, as you share this, and I just like feel it from you, is this, it's not exactly confidence, it is confidence, but it's comfort in how you communicate because you're just, it seems to me very connected with you. are like, hey, this is why I wanna ask that question. And I'm sure there was timidness, like I know, like being 25 and trying to ask somebody twice your age, like, hey, what are you trying to really accomplish? But like, was that your journey? Just like being more comfortable in your skin? And because you have a podcast, so maybe you can tell people about a podcast, what helps you be an effective communicator, I guess, is my direct question. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you know, communication is its own journey of uncovering your deeper insecurities. The journey into public speaking is really one where you have to go through the valley of your deepest insecurities because it all you can't hide. Mm. And so one of the big things that actually switched for me, and I was working with a speech coach, public speaking coach, and she picked up that I was approaching my talks almost as if I was anticipating that other people were not interested in what I was going to say. I was front-loading disinterest. And the switch is front-load interest. Assume that people are going to be interested in what you have to say. And that, that was one of those things that just like, oh, whoa. Okay, I can play around with that. And then you start to see the impact. And of course, it's, it's, you know, it's an ongoing journey and it's something that we're never, we never arrive at the destination. But, and this again, this gets back into why I think it's so important for us to be self-examining and doing our own inner work is that in many ways, it's withdrawing our projections from the world. There's a Carl Jung quote that I've been thinking about lately that like the most valuable gift you can give to the world is to withdraw your projections from it, to stop making assumptions and stop layering our own interpretations from our past experience and our past traumas and our past hurts or successes on top of the things that we're interacting with. Because what that allows is it allows us to actually start to see people as they really are versus as we think they are. Hmm. So again, it goes back to that, that unconscious understanding, even like that of yourself and recognizing where the blind spots are and then like saying, Hey, what? So leaders, what are you projecting onto others that relates to your own insecurities? And how is that? Is that, how is that getting in your way? Just as we didn't have a question about this, but like today I was getting acupuncture and I was like, okay, I need to do all of this like regularly. And then I was reflecting on, you know, older people. And I was like, I bet, you know, if there's somebody who's like a 50 year old leader, who's trying to be at his best, like his first thing was probably not going to acupuncture like once every two weeks to stay at the top of his game, you know, but like for me, I just feel like that's what I need to do. So my question is around leaders at all levels. If they say, Hey, I'm too busy to do this, like self-betterment or do too busy, or just don't even think about doing that self-reflection. Like, what do you say to them 
around like, is it necessary? What's the ROI of the time there? I have so many questions, but you can take that. Well, yeah. You want. Well, I mean, you know, they, uh, what comes to mind is the Stephen Covey idea from seven habits of highly effective people is like if somebody's chopping a tree with an ax and you go up, Hey, if you, if you sharpen your, if you take 10 minutes to sharpen your ax, you're going to spend half the amount of energy to cut that tree down. And it's a really perfect analogy because these things, and a good, like, there's no cookie cutter formula, right? The things that work for one person don't necessarily work for another. We are these dynamic, unique human beings. There are, I think, some universals. I mean, really good place to start is sleep, hydration, exercise. And most of us are chronically underslept, dehydrated, and not getting our heart rate's elevated on a regular basis. And you, you, know, you just start there and you're already going to be showing up more powerfully in the world. But again, that's why it's so important to be in that place of introspection and really learning what are the things that help me evolve? What are the drivers of my best self? And take time for that. 10 years ago, I would be laughed out of the boardroom. 20 years ago, I mean, who, you know, who knows? It's an incredible moment, I think, that we are in and in, in the business world where recognizing the whole human being thriving is a win-win. And that's why we have a management philosophy at 15.5 called best self-management. Help your people be and become their best selves. And, and not only will the business benefit, you're going to have a legacy as that person's manager, as the, the architect of that company, that people look back at and say, wow. Like I have one woman who recently left us after five years as a designer. And she said, I experienced 20 years of personal development in my five years at 15.5. And for me, that you know, that's just the coolest. That's like five plus 15. Sorry, I make puns and I think I'm funny. That's, um, <laughs> I know I was I was I was like, oh, there's a five. There's a there's something. But I didn't in get there. the 20, yeah. So granular, and if you can, you know, say what the experience is, because I see with like an application and like you, you got a software company. Software company sort of requires people to take their phone or computer and and check in and reflect. And then what if you know, there's a type of manager who's like, I don't have time for that. And I know we talked about it there, like back about like sharpening the ax, but like, what have you seen either people come to the table with like, oh, I'm too busy to do check-ins. I'm too busy for this. You know, we should be focused on, why are we focused on OKRs when we should be executing our plan? Why are we focusing on culture when we should be, why are we having these meetings to even talk about this stuff? We're so busy. We don't have time to ex make extra meetings. What are you seeing in, in the space right now? Yeah, well, like, first of all, that can often be true. You, you want to make sure you don't go out of balance and do excess work about work. Mm. So first of all, I'd probably validate and say, yeah. Then I would actually dig into what is your role as a manager? I would go to the company and I would say, company X, what does it mean to be a great manager? So many companies I ask this to and they don't have an answer. Or you ask 20 people, what is, it, what is a great manager at this company? And they have different answers. So getting on the same page of what do we actually expect our managers to do? And what's the, what's the job of being a people manager? is a simple but invaluable place to start. Because when we start to think about 
well, okay, so a manager isn't just there to crack the whip and hold people accountable to do their jobs, but a manager is to help this person get their next job. A manager is there to remove the roadblocks to this person doing their best work. A manager is there to both reward high performance and disincentivize low performance. But then how do you do that? How do you start to help people move from being a B player to an A player? And I mean, you know, there's, there's different theories of is development true or people just basically set where they're at. Taking on growth mindsets for your people is also a really big one. And so, you know, I think that you need to have a, you need to be on the same page of what is the job of a manager here. And if the job of a manager is to not communicate, not guide, support the development of your people, then yeah, sure. Maybe you shouldn't do one-on-ones. Maybe you shouldn't do check-ins. But if it is, then what are the feedback loops that you need to put in place in order to actually be effective at your job as an effective manager? So what I hear in, in sort of like a step process there is first, first, like the self-reflection again, comes back to that self-reflection. And what I really heard out of your questioning, is like, you don't actually even need to know the answer. In fact, you don't know the answer, or even if you do know the answer, assume you don't and just ask yourself, how do you, how do we, what does that really look like? And it's more about the discussion than the discovery of the answer, I believe. Thoughts on that just before I move on? Yeah. Well, I mean... It's a little disconnected, but you know, most people shouldn't be managers. Gallup's research, that's a bit of a black box. So I'm not sure exactly how they arrive at this, but they (laughs) say one, maybe two out of every 10 managers should actually be managers. And in what I what I really like about that, I mean, A, it's a little disheartening because you probably should fire eight out of every 10 managers in your company, but is that Management is a very specific skill set. It's not for everybody. Just because somebody is an amazing IC, that's like the worst reason to promote them to be a manager. They need to care about people. They need to actually be invested in the thriving and success of their team. They need to get off on seeing their people develop. A great slogan. We should put that on the wall. I I get it. Or not. Yeah. (laughs) Or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's a great opportunity for us to be in that deeper inquiry around what is the role of management? Mm. Because look, like 71% of people that leave a company cite their manager as the primary reason for leaving. Investing in your managers, making your managers, like we call it manager enablement as a category, is one of the highest leverage points that any company has to reduce attrition, increase performance, and build a better culture. I'm going to ask you a question about that because I'm interested to see, I think we sort of grew up at the similar time-ish. So I'd be interesting to see what your 20-year vision was 20 years ago. But before I do that, I want to go back to that sort of step. So first is that self-reflection. Next is aligning everybody on those expectations. So there's no gap because gaps in expectations just create frustration. And I joke that my version of the kitchen being clean is different than my wife's. 
and then realigning the actions. What do you, what do you mean closing the cupboards as part of cleaning the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like everything, even the cloth. And then realigning the actions and processes because it's only against what you're hoping to accomplish. So if you're not trying to be a best self-manager, then you do not need to do actions that are in line with best self-managers. And then all of that basically boils down to what is the role of management. And for our listeners, reflect to yourself, hey, what is the role of managers? But what I was going to ask was when you were 26 and you saw this future for your business, and then let's say now, and you look five, 10 years, what did you see the gaps being? What do you see the gaps are now? And then how does that tie in with manager enablement from your perspective? And then I'll share you what I thought. Yeah, it's a bit of a hard question. I mean, it, you know, when we first started this, one of the visions that really stuck stuck out for me is building a company where our product is essentially a conveyor belt that takes companies from one stage of development to the next stage of development. So I don't know if you've ever read Tribal Leadership by Dave Logan, I think. And really interesting book that borrows from spiral dynamics and integral theory that looks at different stages of development that individuals and organizations go through mm. and kind of breaks it down and converts it to a bit more of a business-oriented audience. But the vision for our platform nine years ago was we're a conveyor belt that a company gets on and over a year or two years, they actually grow in their levels of development. So they become less egocentric. They become less, if I want something done, I have to do it myself from the I to the we and really actually develop healthier leadership teams, healthier cultures, healthier communication styles, ultimately more effective, more productive, and more joyous organizations. Cool. I get that. It's it, it's interesting. So we run a consulting firm. We support leaders in a different fashion. And what I like about your approach is you said, hey, like there's these existing managers, like let's take them boop, 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 up along that sort of self-development journey. What I saw, and perhaps being like HI difference there is, but what I saw is that in 10 years, in 20 years, the gap between people who have already been able to get on that elevator of improvement and the people who are just approaching the pool. I yeah. think there's going to be so many people who are like, I've never done this before. I have no idea how to lead people. And I'm just going to Google how to lead people. And then they're going to find the podcast. But what are you seeing in terms of that, like five generations in the workforce that the different levels of a development from that perspective? Sure. You know, and it's, it's a lot of the reason why we've evolved into an education company as well as software, hmm. because we know that we know that people have gaps. The statistics of the number of managers that get zero manager training, it's atrocious. I'm not sure. I, can't, I, I don't remember the specifics of them, but it's a lot. Very few managers actually get trained on how to manage people. And so that's why we have Best Self Academy, which is basically our freemium education offering where we have a ton of really good courses on the basics of people strategy, the basics of people management. Generationally, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm never a big fan of lumping millions of humans into the same bucket just because they're similar age ranges because there's 20-year-olds that are more mature than some 50-year-olds. So 
Yeah, I get I get that. So but but fundamentally, I think another great see Shane, you you said, hey, I can do tens of millions of questions. I think you've dropped like 10 really great self-reflection pieces in today's interview. So thank you for that. But the other one Shane said is, are you training your managers how to be managers? And just like ask yourself, there's no other, I don't care what the answer is. Just reflect for yourself. What is that? Well, right. It's like, first, okay, what is the ideal of a manager in this company? And what the heck are we doing to get people towards that ideal? Yeah. Hopefully signing up for 15.5, but that's, I'll I'll give you a plug option after. So I got two more questions for you. What is the thing that you have are like, grappling with right now and have not been able to solve? What is the thing as a leader, as somebody who's interested in people, what is that challenge that like you're still uncovering, still like getting to the bottom of from your journey? Well, you know, I mean, part of it is as a larger organization, and we're not huge. I mean, we're about 200 people and growing, but we talked about in the beginning, people come into companies with a lot of different experiences of work. And some people are really guarded. Some people are really cynical. And I think one of the challenges that I have is how do you reach the people that deep down want to be in an environment of growth and development, but have so many layers of resistance and cynicism that they're unconvinced that it's authentic. Mm. So that's one that I that I, I kind of continually struggled with. And of course, we do everything we can with our hiring process to get people who are genuinely interested in signing up for a, a transformational cultural experience. But sometimes people slip through and sometimes people can just be really skeptical of why we're doing this. I mean, it again comes down to like just because people doubt doesn't mean that I can't, I have to leave my orientation of being of service to them, to their best self. And that can be a little tricky, especially when they throw it back in your face and make assumptions around what your intentions are. Yeah. Which is, I imagine even trickier, especially if they're exceptionally talented. They're like, Hey, you've been doing this for 10 years. You know, like what, what's the long game here? And you're like, no, no, this is just, I'm just genuinely trying to help you and people. I don't know, but okay. So First of all, thank you for all of that. Because there's people that, that exist. And I think when it goes down to the, because we've used so many book references that, hey, are they on the bus or are they not on the bus? And you say, hey, you know, tickets free. There's a seat for you right here. And like, no, you know what? I'm just, I don't see it. And so that's the, the vision part. Anything else you want to share to our, our leaders about, you know, being able to have their teams get to that highest level or just really being able to become a better leader as themselves? Well, you know, a question that I've been asking is how do we shift the world of work from one of fear and obligation, which I think is, if we're really honest and we look at the deeper layers of our experience, a lot of work is is colored by fear and obligation. So how do we shift from fear and obligation to joy and service to where I'm actually genuinely of service to the people around me and I want to contribute. I want to contribute to the company's mission. I want to contribute to the people I manage. I want to contribute to the people I don't manage and have an experience of joy while doing it. And that's a journey in and of itself. And I, I flip between fear and obligation and joy and service all the time. But <laughs> yeah, it depends if you've had coffee or not. Yeah, I'm like six weeks without coffee right now. Congratulations. Um, that's amazing. Really loving mud water. I don't know if you've come across mud water. I have not. Um, it must be a, a thing. It's like a 
overly fancy and branded millennial brand of uh, like supercharged mushroom chai black tea beverage mix. It's good. Okay. Let's check it out. I will check Uh, it out. (laughs) um, But it's the North Star that I keep coming back to. You know, I think we should all be checking in and finding our own North Star. What are we aspiring to in life? And it doesn't mean we have to always be there, but pick that higher ideal and allow your life to be in service of that. Oh, I love that. Well, that's the first thing. Like as soon as we started talking, I was like, okay, this guy knows where he's going. And you know, I think one of the things for our leaders that I've found to be true is that other people, they have somewhere they want to go. They don't always know where it is and sometimes where it is. And great leaders help them get that and uncover it. Totally. And I think what I've learned, Shane, from today is just, you know, the only way to get there is by asking them where that is and what that is, not by beating them over the head by the, saying, this the is it. Magical <laughs> power of questions. I love it. That's probably what we're going to call it. Okay, great. Shane, how can people learn more about 15.5? How can people get in touch with you? How can people follow you and uh, subscribe to your podcast? Let's not forget yeah, about sure. that Okay, one. so uh, we do have a podcast, HR Superstars. So you can search for that on any of the platforms you listen to podcasts on. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Shane Metcalf, 15.5. And then go to 15.5.com. That's 15five.com to learn about our holistic approach to people and performance management. So we have everything from engagement surveys, performance reviews, check-ins, recognition, one-on-ones, as well as all of the education that Best Health Academy, but you can find that all on 15.5.com. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think for for all of our listeners, again, I I encourage you to take Shane up on his offer. You know, one of the things that I heard when we started is, you know, he had somebody guiding him on his journey. And 15.5 is not if not explicit, is to really support you on your leadership journey and to provide, you know, the resources and support that you need and for your team to equip you to take that staircase elevator escalator up. Shane, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been a blast. And I just so look forward to hearing more about what you and 15.5 does with the future. Anthony, real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. My guest today has been Shane Metcalf, who is the founder and chief culture officer at 15.5. If you have somebody in your life that you want them to elevate to new levels of leadership, ask them what that looks like for them. And then ask them if they'd like to listen to this podcast. (laughs) My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Shane, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. Course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. Course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.